Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, guess what, folks? We already gave you one gift from Charlotte Johnson, and she gave away her cold email drip for free. All of her email templates that would typically go into 10 to 15 touches over 30 days, you can get those in the show notes here. And now she's backing it up with a podcast episode two, breaking down everything you need to know about cold emails. Nick, why should people listen? I think the most impressive thing about Charlie is she does a really, really good job standing apart from other salespeople in the words she uses to start her cold emails, in the way that she makes cold calls, in the way that she kicks off discovery meetings. She has a lot of really small tweaks and suggestions that you can make to how you're running your sales life to have the prospect say, wait a minute, this person's a little bit different. So I had a lot of fun with this episode, Armand. Three, two, one. This episode's a little bit different. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. 
apply because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. All right, Charlie, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Yeah. So number one is take your research that one step further than other people and be smart about using it. So what I mean by this is don't just use generic personalization or the first thing you come across when you're researching someone. Like everyone is using that first thing that they see on someone's LinkedIn profile using their company, using their industry. So take it that one step further than other people you're competing against for your prospect's time. So for example, if you're using a funding announcement, don't just say congrats on the funding announcement, just like every single other person is going to do. Say exactly what in the article you found interesting. And I'd even start it with quotations of the point. Whatever it says, expansion into the US found this really interesting in your funding announcement that you hosted about. Beautiful. What's number two? So number two is incorporate more humanness into your PS. And being more human sounds so obvious, but the challenge that a lot of people have with standing out today is that we've all incorporated this common salesy language that we've been taught over time. But the issue is that's making it really difficult for us to then actually stand out because we all then sound the same, just like little sales robots. And our prospects can smell the desperation and uh, smell that salesy language from a mile off. So, for example, using this, especially in the PS, is probably one of my top tips. So if you see your prospect has a dog and you have a dog, share the fact that you both have dogs in the PS and maybe sprinkle in a gift for their dog or something like that. So adding in that humanness into the PS. Very nice. Round us out. What's number three, Charlie? So make your outreach a pattern interrupt. And the above being human actually ticks this. But what I'm talking about here is incorporating different structures in your outreach in order to stand out. So not using the classic repetitive sales, emails, phone call scripts, etc. So as an example, instead of starting every email with hi, first name, I saw on LinkedIn that start it with something like, reading your careers page and found this role interesting first name. All right. So Charlie, a lot of emails that look exactly the same to me, it's like the same two word subject line. It always starts with hello, Armand. And then it typically goes into noticed that some generic research. You do some things really unique to how you make that research pop out in an email, whether it's the preview text or the subject line, what have you. So let's say I have some cool piece of research for lack of a better word. How do I make that pop out the moment it hits the inbox? I don't know why we don't just start emails with the personalization. I don't know why we have to start with high first name. I noticed that and have it really long winded. And the only reason I kind of thought about this is because when I read my own emails, I get very uninterested very quickly. So I skim over my inbox and I quickly delete the ones that don't stand out. So I was like, well, actually, I'm probably doing this in my prospects inbox as well. So how can I stand out? So one of the things that I do is that I actually front load the personalization. I don't even put, hey, first name. 
I will literally say what I found interesting. And I'll try not to use words like I noticed that or I saw that because everyone uses that. So one of my favorites is using, starting it with words like browsing on the SDR role you're hiring for first name. And then I add their first name at the end. So if you look at your inbox, everything says, hi, first name, hi, first name, hi, first name. So mine, when I'm saying browsing on your SDR role, you're hiring for first name, instantly just stands out. And that small little difference really kind of makes a difference. We saw quite an uptick in like open clicks and reply rates just from adding the first name to the end of that sentence. I'm curious, you mentioned some of the examples of stuff you're looking for to weave into the email. So I've heard you say, funding announcement, hiring for a certain role. You're including if you see that they have a, a certain type of pet, they've got a dog, you've got a dog. Two questions here. One, what other stuff are you looking for to weave into the personalized aspect of the email? And then the second part of that is like, what if you can't find anything or what you can find is like incredibly dull? Like there's not a lot about Armand on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. I'm going to start with the second one. You're going to have to remind me of the first question in a second. I actually think the fact that people are like, there's no information on my prospect. Yeah, personally on someone, they might not do a lot of on LinkedIn. But being honest, I rarely use, unless someone has something really powerful on their LinkedIn, I actually don't start with that as my personalization because I think it's just too obvious and everyone's using it. So I actually do. The first thing I will do is I'll look at their careers page understand where is this company investing their money. I will read the roles. Usually at the top, it will tell you exactly where the company is focused on. Sometimes it will say like, we're going to be expanding into Amsterdam. So we need a Dutch speaking rep and things like that. So I can use that initially as my personalization. Other thing that's like a really easy thing to do, and I'd argue that not many people do this, is simply Googling the company's name. And then just going on the news section and just understanding like they will obviously post about things that they care about. So is it the fact that they're getting a lot of integration partners and things like that? And if they are, I can use the hypothesis that I'm guessing that your partnership and growing your product to attract more people is a, is a focus for you at the moment. Even something so simple as that. You can link anything to your product. And the beauty of these hypotheses is that they don't need to be right. I'm probably wrong most of the time. When I am right, I'm like, whoa, I got it right. But how the hell are you supposed to know what the company's focus and challenges? You're not going to. And all you have to be doing for this like pipeline general is just gaining a bit of interest. And in order to do that, I just think creating this hypothesis and guess about what you think their focus is gives you enough credibility to earn the right to have a call to actually find out what their focus is. So there was a fun example that you gave earlier that I'd actually love to put into practice here. So you mentioned one thing you might have noticed on a career page was th they were hiring for a Dutch SDR or something like that, <laughs> right? So let's say that I observe that uh, they're trying to hire the Dutch version of a young Nick Sigelski, and that's my tailoring. How would you weave that into an email and then tie that to a problem that you can solve? Yeah. So how I would start it, and especially if you know that person's going to be on their team, is I'll either quote something. And I, I love starting emails with quotes. I just think it's very different. And I love to put in an italics because it's something that they know and something that they've written. So they should kind of recognize it. Or I will start it like quite informally and be like, wow, so many SDR hires 
Or I'll be like, so cool that you're expanding into Amsterdam. I was reading the job spec for the Dutch SDR. Once I've done that, I will be like, look, and I'll be really honest. And I, I'm really like self-deprecating in my emails as well. And I'll be like, look, I'm probably way off here. haha. And I actually add stuff like haha in my email. I'm probably way off here with my guests. haha. But usually the struggle that someone will have when they're expanding in a new geography is either this or this. Am I way off here or am I at least a little bit close? Either way, best of luck growing the team. I used to live, and maybe in the PS, I used to live in Rotterdam and would go to Amsterdam quite a lot. So definitely get them to check out this restaurant. It's the bomb. I'm curious, to what extent are you considering cultural implications with emails like this? Because I see pros and cons. I see, okay, knowing that Germany is different than Amsterdam, you might change the way that you message. But I could also see like the law of diminishing returns applying where like you spend hours researching Dutch email culture and you really slow yourself down. So what is your take on that? I personally, like, I'm just me. And that's how I am in my email outreach. I don't really adjust too much for different cultures because at the end of the day, they're going to get on a call with me and they're going to realize that I'm not a mega serious person. I'm quite a lighthearted person and they're going to find that out sooner or later. And I think one of the things that does benefit me and why people do react to my emails is because I am just myself. So whether um, we have so many different cultures in, in, in sales loft in our office in EMEA, like I can see a French um, salesperson, I can see German salespeople and like everyone is very similar. So yes, some people might not react well to you being you, but I just think like there's no point wasting your life trying to be someone you're not. And it just makes it way less fun as well. Like it's just so much fun being yourself and having a bit of fun with your outreach than just being really formal and someone you're not just to try and impress someone who you think might like this more than this, but you don't actually know. So Charlie, one thing that I talk to folks about a lot is try to make your language more human, read it out loud, listen to how it sounds, but still sometimes you see a lot of really stiff language. For example, they won't use conjunctions or anything like that. If you were giving advice to someone on how to tactically get better at making their language sound human, do you have any advice to lend to folks? Yeah, and this is actually really difficult to notice that you're not being human because we're almost taught. I remember from day one SDRing, I was almost taught to have this really vivid structure and to have a certain language. So it's almost like embedded into us today. It's actually really difficult to notice when you're doing it and when you're not. I would personally get like an outsider's view on it, like, or record yourself saying it as well. Record yourself saying your email, listen back to it. And if you're like, what have I just said? That does not sound like me. Then change it up a bit. One of my favorite things on SalesLoft is that you can email yourself a preview and I will let that sit in my inbox. And I'll, after I, I can still send the email to people. And I will have a look at it and I'll just scan it and be like, is this too structured? And then start playing around with how I can move things, how I can make it a bit more different, easy to read and things like that. So recording yourself, I think that's a great way. Like, like you said, when you say stuff out rather than it's like, we help companies like X, Y, and Z. It's just like so robotic and repetitive. Get an outsider's view because you have a team who also has a, has 
has insight into like what would be robotic or not. And also ask your persona as well. Something that I do a lot of is I actually just send templates and emails to people I'm connected with. And I'm like, look, we've never spoken before, but I target you and I'm trying to up my uh, email game. Is this too formal? Would this stand out more? And I'll give them a few options. And usually people reply and be like, I actually prefer number three, which is like the really short, informal, chilled one. There's a quote that I heard, which was, if you ask for advice, you get money. And if you ask for money, you get advice. And I bet you get meetings uh, from people who are like, by the way, this actually might help me. One of the things that you put in our prep doc was the idea of pattern interrupting with your outreach structure. And I think there are a lot of salespeople that default to, all right, I send a manual email on day one. On day three, I make a call. The next day, they get a thoughts email. Can you talk to me about the things that you feel you're doing differently in the structure of your outreach? Yeah, good question. And like everyone has cadences and sequences nowadays. And if you don't, then you probably should because you're not going to be as consistent as the other people out there. But everyone has these structures. And I think there's like that a go one or something like that and everyone just copies the same structure and the same sequence and they just all use the same thing and it's kind of like the same as having all the same email so I think like yes start with a baseline copy someone's but iterate and change it from the results that you're getting so I think firstly make sure yours isn't identical and you're constantly looking how to change it and improve it over time and the second thing is just because you have a cadence or sequence doesn't mean you have to strictly follow it You should be doing out of cadence activities as well. So something I do is I will follow people, especially in my tier one accounts, and I will create a list on SalesNav so I can get updates when their company posts things or when they post things or when they change jobs or whatever it might be, I get updates on Sales Navigator. And then I will do out of cadence activities from those triggers that I'm receiving from, um, from LinkedIn. So if they've just had a funding or they've, been promoted or something like that I'm not going to wait for them to get into the next step of my sequence or my cadence I'm going to give them a call or I'm going to send them an email or I'm going to send them a a reach desk or send so and I'm going to do those out of cadence steps which in my opinion are just as valuable as the ones you're doing within your cadences another example is if they're clicking on your email or they're clicking on a piece of content that you've sent them Don't, again, just wait for them to come up in their next step. Send them an email, pick up the phone, give them a call, message them on LinkedIn. Like, I'm really informal when people, like, click on stuff that I've sent, and I'll just screenshot it. And sometimes I just send it on LinkedIn, and I'll be like, ooh, what do you find interesting here? Hey, ha-ha, or something like that. And it's just like I'm not then being this sales robot, A, writing really monotonous, boring emails, but B, following this really strict and, like, processed approach. I'm being different and I'm being more flexible and targeted to them, which I think people just appreciate as well. How do you make sure that an email that you send out of sequence or out of cadence doesn't conflict with another email that you have teed up possibly for the same day or the next day? Like, How do you sort of intertwine the messaging so it isn't very, very obvious that some is automated versus some is human you? My cadence isn't hugely automated. I'll be honest, I use templates a lot, but they will be very personalized to those people. Rarely do I have automated emails that are actually going to like conflict. And I think 
it's different unless you have very specific persona cadences. I think it's really difficult to automate content because they will care about different things. So for me, it's like I will have templates which I can insert, which takes me two seconds, but will be things like hiring SDRs and stuff like that. And usually the automated emails I have are usually more like nurture content, like, oh, because you have a sales team and I'm a salesperson, I found this webinar really useful and I thought your sales team would as well. All of this stuff, I don't think me sending a one-off email or a one-off call and just don't see it conflicting. If anything, it's complementing each other. And I honestly don't care if I send two emails on one day or I send three emails on one day or two LinkedIn and an email on one day, as long as I'm being personalized. It could be difficult if you have very automated, like a pitchy emails, but personally mine aren't. Mine are more insert templates on certain scenarios that I found out about them. So my guess is, even though you're suggesting that we don't copy paste the same number of steps, mix of the steps, what have you, my guess is you probably still have some general guidelines for yourself on how much you space out touches and what the mix of those touches are between video, email, LinkedIn, cold calls, et cetera. So do you have any general rules of thumb? If someone's building out a drip over 30 days, how much spacing and how they should mix in different types of touches? I think in the first five days, you can be a lot higher with like the amount of content you send. Like, so for example, on day one, do three, do three steps, like get your name known. We're not necessarily trying to make them book a meeting and buy immediately. We just want to get them a bit curious about ourselves. So there's no reason why you can't have those three steps on day one. I have for the first five days, like a step on every single day. They're going to know who I am. But if they're not ready to engage with me at that point, that's okay. Because I have the rest of the cadence of the sequence to prove that I deserve their time. So after those first five steps, I chill out a little bit and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give them a bit of a break, (laughs) let someone else have a bit of a chance. And I would probably the next five days, maybe leave things two, three days. And then after that, it gets a bit longer. So I'm really concentrating at the beginning and over the time period, it's getting more and more and more spaced out. And once someone gets to the end of my cadence, they're not finished. They then go into my deposit cadence, which is just one piece of content a month. But it's not me saying sales up does this or here's our case study or here's a guide we published. It's like, because you're in this industry or because you're a certain persona, here's a really useful podcast that our sales team have used to book meetings. So I'm then peppering them with really great content that's actually genuinely going to help their team. It's not always related to sales loft, but it's going to actually help their team. And then eventually they're going to be like, you know what, this person's given me a lot of great content. Let me give them a give them a shot. Can you tell me more about this deposit cadence? Because I don't imagine you can only promote 30 minutes to President's Club every single month to your prospect. Questions on it. Is it all automated? And how? if it isn't, how much tailoring are you doing in that deposit cadence? Third question I have related to it, like, are you still doing the out of cadence activities when they're in that that piece of it? I'd like to learn more about what you're doing there because I haven't heard much about a strategy like this. Yeah, so it is automated, but I have different ones. So like we have a certain amount of personas. Usually information for SDR managers is going to be different to what a CRO wants to engage with. So we'll have persona-based 
deposit ones. And I'm going to send them things that are actually going to be valuable for them. And how I find this information, yes, for me, it's a lot easier because I'm sales and I sell to sales. But actually, I don't know what CROs like to engage with. So it's not always as easy. And so what I do to find the information to put into it is I just ask. I just ask my persona, what content do you like to engage with? I'll ask our VP here, what do you like to read? What articles do you read in the morning? What podcasts do you listen to? Like, what do you like to engage with and what do you find valuable? And I'll ask them to send me stuff. And I I do it to random us on LinkedIn as well. I'll be like, look, I'm building out my nurture cadence. Is there anything that you particularly like to engage with, whether that's someone on LinkedIn, whether that's a certain article that your persona enjoys? And I ask people, and that's how I get my content. Then it's automated. And I do it like once a month, just so it's not too much because they've just gone through my like (laughs) 16, 17 step cadence. But once a month, and yes, I do the out of cadence activities. If I see them comment on something or post something or start clicking on something, I then again will do that out of cadence activity. And the thing is like, I've never had someone say like, oh my God, can you stop spamming me? It's always like, we have thoroughly enjoyed what you've been sending us. It wasn't the right time and now is the right time. Charlotte, I'm curious about the amount of time and when you're dedicating it to your prospecting because you have a lot of other things that you need to do put together proposals, show demos, have discovery calls. How do you work doing what you're doing here, which is extremely strategic and intentional and focused, but I can also see taking up 37 hours of your week. So what's your approach to weaving this into your work week? Yeah. Do you know what? It has been a struggle since moving to AE. Like I've never done an AE role before, so I've had to do a lot of learning. So yes, I've been a bit guilty of not doing it as consistently as I would like. I still make sure that I do a certain amount a week and how we're targeted and how we kind of like measure ourselves is we call it day one activities. So I make sure that I'm doing like 15 of these a week. If I'm not doing these, I don't build my own pipeline. I have to rely on inbounds, which might not be reliable sometimes, or I have to rely on SDRs who maybe they're having a bad week or a bad month. So I am strict that I need to do my own pipeline gen in order for me to feel comfortable about the pipeline coverage that I have. How it doesn't take up my entire day is the fact that we're really lucky in the fact that our solution can tell me exactly which are the steps that get me and leverage me the most results. So I will make sure I do those steps at the beginning and I will have more cadences that are focused on different scenarios. So a cadence for someone who's hiring a cadence for someone who has a full cycle AE team. So that content I'm adding in later on can be automated and it's going to be relevant to the fact that they're hiring people or the fact that they have a full cycle team who is going to need different content for different like triggers, as an example. The clock is ticking. We're running out of time. It's time for the final question. So Charlie, we've talked about a lot of great things salespeople should be doing. Now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what is one bad habit you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? I'm going to do two things. Pitching, as soon as you connect with someone on LinkedIn, I hate this so much. And I get it as well, which is just really annoying because I'm definitely not a decision maker. But like just pitching as soon as you connect with someone like it just 
doesn't work, I instantly remove them because I'm like, I know I'm going to get spammed. Get rid of that salesy nature. Let them have a little breath, even interact with a few things before you message them. But don't pitch people the second they connect. They haven't connected because they're like, "Mm, sell me. So break that. And the other thing is like, try not to use such automated and templated emails within your cadences. Like I've seen some of the stuff that our, our managers get and it's just so obvious that it's templated. So try and make sure that if you are using templates, you're being creative and you're inserting templates that are relevant to their scenarios, not just, oh, I'm guessing that pipeline is a focus and sales loft helps 10 times pipeline. It's just so obvious it's salesy and no one's going to reply to it. So stop with the templated boring emails, add a bit of like, it doesn't even need to be personalization, but just add a little more focus into them. Wonderful. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us and everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Charlie Johnson include number one, don't start your emails with hi name or noticed that. That's junk filler text that clutters your preview view. Instead, just lead immediately with the research, ideally a quote from your research. Number two, try to research where they're spending their money. That means things like job postings, funding announcements, etc. But don't just say like, hey, notice you raised a round. Literally put a quote from the job posting or a quote from the funding announcement in your email. Number three, stop speaking like a robot. Use human language. I know that sounds really theoretical. One fun tactical example was, I'm probably way off base in my guess here. Ha <laughs> ha. That is literally what Charlotte is putting inside of her emails, and you can do the same. And then lastly, number four, if they are clicking on your email, if they're popping into your sales net feed, or if they're breaking in the news, email them. Don't worry about breaking all the other steps in your cadence or your sequence or whatever you're doing. Don't worry about breaking that up. Just send them a note one-off outside of the drip. All righty, Nick, how can people help us off here? 
direct your eyes and your mind and your thumbs or your mouse to today's show notes because we are giving away Charlie's Drip Campaign. Yes, for free. All you got to do is follow the link and download it and you will be booking more meetings with a lot less effort. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.